Good morning, Wisconsin. It's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Come give us your thoughts on the old National Bank talk and text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now here's your host, Sandy Max and Steve Scafidi. Steve Scafidi, still in Italy. They haven't kicked him out yet. I've seen visual evidence of his uh, trip, though. His escapades? Yeah, he finally posted a Twitter of he and his lovely wife Aww. on the, on the platforms. He did. Looks like they're having a good time. Well, he's missing out on bring, a fire hose. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> but yes, so uh, Steve Scafidi is out, but I am thrilled to be continuing the fine tradition of the political power hour. On the phone, you heard Mr. Bill McCashin, a Republican strategist, and in the studio with me is Joe Zapecki, a Democratic strategist. And boy, there's a little bit to talk about today, gentlemen. <laughs> the headlines just keep coming and coming, even last night. I, it's one of those weeks where the thought crossed my mind, like, should we unplug the news and plug it back in to see if that fixes the problem? Because it just, story after story after story, development after development after development, it was, it was exhausting. It's like, it's a big part of my job to keep up with it, and it was exhausting. So for, you know, folks who only have a few minutes to spend every week kind of consuming the news, they don't, it's not essential to what they do for work. I don't know how you make heads or tails of it, but we're here to help with that. I think we're going to try, right? We we are for sure. I, I think Joe's right. I mean, there was so much news this week that I, I don't know if the average consumer could focus on one story, let alone probably 10 big ones that we might cover four or five of those today. And we'll try and give your listeners the, the rest of the story, the backstory, as they say. Yeah, I'm just touching on some of them and then. The two of you can jump in on on what resonates most or what you think maybe is the most important. Uh, the ramifications of Megan Wolf, who is the state's chief election official, uh, being rejected. And then there's a subsequent lawsuit now by Attorney General Josh Call to combat that. You've got Robin Voss changing his direction on impeachment. Or did he? Or did he uh, <laughs> against uh, Chief against Justice Janet Protosiewicz, Planned Parenthood? announcing yesterday that they're resuming services in two of their Wisconsin locations and the timing of that announcement and the impact of that announcement. Uh, then in national headlines, you've got McCarthy and his motivations behind announcing a Biden impeachment and Trump's suspected participation in encouraging that. You've also got what people have been call- clamoring for in some parts of the political world, the Hunter Biden indictment on his gun charge. And then now he's also got a lawsuit against a Trump aide in a hacking accusal uh what am i missing there's still more the the federal government barreling towards a likely shutdown um you've got biden on a literal world tour you know around the globe in five days uh making a bunch of news uh those are two more that you know then we had late last night uh the united auto workers struck i believe this is the first time in maybe history ever that the the strike is going to affect all three major automakers in the U.S. Um, there's three. Bill, I'm sure there's more. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the UAW one is big, frankly, yeah. for both sides. I mean, uh, the president predicted that that would not happen, and it might be an opportunity for Republicans. I mean, Trump has made some noise on this issue, but other Republicans may be able to fly to Detroit and rally with the union workers as well. I mean, th- 
the, the amount of news this week is staggering, but maybe the biggest news is Jordan Love is 1-0. Oh, <laughs> there you go. How can we forget that? And, <laughs> and we certainly haven't talked since the unbelievable Monday night football train wreck that was the Aaron Rodgers injury, which I'm, you know, the, I, I've seen a lot of, like, plays. yeah, three, four, three snaps. I've seen a lot of moments yeah. in local journalism that, like, made you go, wow. I got to say, A.J. Byatpour from CBS 58, live from Jacks on Brady, when the Jets won that and all of those patrons oh. realized they would be paying their bar tabs that night and not having them <laughs> treated was like chef's kiss, just absolutely perfect encapsulation of our it times. Perfect, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, no one had this on their uh, on their bingo card at all. That everybody was getting ready to watch with envy to see if the Jets were really going to be great or to have a giggle if they were really not going to do well with Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback. And now no one gets to see that this season. What was your one word reaction, Joe, when you saw the news? Shocking. Yeah. I, just like almost, Mine almost silence. Wow. Yeah. Bill, yeah, Bill, you were wowed. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with Joe on this. I mean, nobody saw this coming, and the truth is, the Jets' defense is for real. I mean, it quite possibly might be the best defense in the NFL, but their offense now, <laughs> who knows what will happen with that team the rest of the way? And I, I you know, I, I'm grateful for Aaron Rodgers' 18 years in Green Bay. 15 as a starter, four MVPs, got us a Super Bowl. I, I'm very grateful for that. I, no one would ever want to see anybody injured like that, but it, it was it was sort of surreal that yeah. that all happened the way it did. Bill McCashin and Joe Zapecki in for the Political Power Hour. We will go from football into they're going to commiserate and figure out what uh, to tackle first. Did you hear that? Tackle first. Uh, next on the Political Power Hour. Good morning, I'm Sandy Max. It is Friday, September 15th, and it is the 9 o'clock hour, which is the political power hour every Friday. And we get to uh, have hearty conversations, especially on a week like this, with Bill McCaution, who is a Republican strategist, and Joe Zapecki, Democratic strategist, who have, uh, like I said, hearty conversations, agreements, disagreements. We like to find out, most importantly, though, insights. With the flurry of all the news this week, guys, what did you learn this week? Um, I'll I'll take that first. Um, one of the things I learned is just how important to Speaker Voss and the Republicans their control of the map process is. And, and that might seem like reductive and simple. Like, of course, they care about their maps. They've been fighting to protect them, right? They've gone to the extraordinary length of raising the specter of impeaching a state Supreme Court justice because of the maps. But in in the the sort of moves this week in this story, the uh, pronouncement that uh, they had had a change of heart and they were going to pursue something they're calling Iowa style redistricting uh, showed me they like they're not going to back down from this fight. They will do whatever it takes up to and including completely distorting the definition of the Iowa style model of redistricting. And another thing that reminded me is sort of like the messengers matter on issues in our politics and trust and credibility are paramount. It is because of the choices that Speaker Voss has made over the years, literally going back 13, 14 years. He's the wrong actor in this process if Wisconsin is ever going to get truly bipartisan or nonpartisan redistricting. 
it, you know, there, you cannot blame Democrats in the Assembly, in the State Senate, in the governor's office, who sort of say, like, why would we hire the arsonist to put out the fire in terms of the political maps? And, you know, the way I've been thinking about this, and so listeners understand, is like, just because you call something a thing doesn't mean that's what it is. Like, I can go to my barber and say, give me the Brad Pitt style haircut. That doesn't mean I'm going to emerge from the barbershop looking like Brad Pitt. That That is like the closest I can come to. Like, you can call something Iowa style redistricting, but it turns out that the actual legislation that Republicans rammed through last night is not the way that the state of Iowa has done it. And so that that's one thing I learned this week. Bill, uh, you, want, you want to maybe respond to that and then like we can go through the yeah. thing you learned? I don't think either one of us could look like Brad Pitt no matter what we did. <laughs> let's talk about redistricting. We, we talked to Sandy last week about de-escalation, whether or not there could be any de-escalation on this idea of impeachment. And I said I thought the only way it could de-escalate was if Janet Protasiewicz did, in fact, recuse herself. I was wrong. Uh, I didn't see this coming, uh, but Voss has moved this week to uh, go ahead and pass the Iowa-style nonpartisan redistricting plan was a brilliant de-escalation of this because it's something that Democrats have been clamoring for for the past 13 years. Now, the parts of this that are identical to Iowa, the, the maps under this scenario would be drawn by the Legislative Reference Bureau, nonpartisan Legislative Reference Bureau, exactly the same as Iowa's. There would be a five-member commission that oversees it, two Republicans, two Democrats, and those four people then pick the fifth member who uh, would serve as the chair. There are a couple minor differences in how the process is reviewed over time, including the legislature's role. By the way, our Constitution gives this role exclusively to our legislature, so they'd be giving away this role to this nonpartisan effort. But but I got to say, it was it was brilliant to the point where Voss got bipartisan support for this plan last night. Lena Taylor, Milwaukee senator, was in the assembly whipping Milwaukee, primarily black Democrats, votes to support this plan. There were three who voted for multiple amendments to improve the plan. So the, the plan got uh, a little more um, moderate over the course of the night through amendments. So it became more and more like Iowa over the course of the evening. The final plan did have bipartisan support, and two of the Democrats who voted for all of the amendments, you know, chose not to reappear in the assembly, which actually gave Voss a supermajority. If this is all about math, uh, Voss may or may not now have a supermajority, but this was just step one. This, This plan will now go to the state Senate. Maybe it gets changed again. It's a certainty it will be bipartisan in the state Senate. Lena Taylor's going to vote for this. And let's not forget, your listeners may not know these details, but they're really, really important. These same African-American legislators voted against Tony Evers' People's Maps Commission maps because they they dispersed African-American power in the legislature. He would claim they created a seventh minority seat, but it actually reduced the number of majority minority seats. So... What Voss did, I didn't see it coming last week. I didn't think there was another way to de-escalate. 
this actually might be a brilliant move on his part. And I think it's a very tough sell for Democrats to be against this, particularly because the plan could change even more in the Senate before it's finally passed. And if it does change more, it has to go back to the state assembly for concurrence. And then I don't know how the governor vetoes it, frankly, because he ran twice on fair redistricting maps. So uh, this may actually take the Wisconsin Supreme Court out of this process, which at this point in time is probably in all of our interests. I agree that there's been a slight de-escalation on the impeachment front, although I do think it's, you know, it is still a live and ongoing concern. We also heard Speaker Voss say that he was going to three former state Supreme Court justices who he refused to name and saying he wanted them to sort of make a recommendation to him about impeachment and recusal and what that looks like. To Bill's point, I, I I think you in the way we were both very optimistic about the tax cut, I think you're a little more bullish on uh, the legislative prospects of this than I am. Tony Evers will veto this if it is not significantly changed. The, the process matters. You know that, Bill. Like The process matters. And drafting a bill at 3 a.m., not holding a public hearing on it, and ramming it through in the dark of night is not a good process. If this was a truly like bipartisan, let's work together, like Speaker Voss would have had those Democrats that they got on this or that amendment standing with them when they announced it, or they would have had at least someone from the Republican conference in the state Senate, or they would have had Governor Evers. Like the process matters. And I think the way that Speaker Voss went about this is going to end up Meaning this doesn't get done. I think if it passes, the governor's going to veto it. And I think that the, the legislature will not be able to override that veto. That's my prediction. I think I think Joe and I would agree from a political standpoint that voters generally don't understand process arguments. And we're going to have the same discussion when we talk about Megan Wolf in the next segment. But I don't I don't think the process does matter. And I'll tell you why. The, the result is what matters. And, and Voss got this done on a bipartisan basis last night. It's There's no question the Senate has time and likely will have a hearing on this bill before they take it up in October. And perhaps there will be more changes. So the notion that, you know, this was done in the dead of night and in secret, you know, the public will have input on the, this version before the Senate acts on it. I'm quite confident of that. And I think it's a very, very tough sell. Uh, even the State Journal, who has been very in favor of the governor and his ideas on redistricting, is saying, hold on, let's not overreact, Governor Evers, on this thing. Let this process play out. Bill, it's interesting that you talk about process versus results, because let's get into Megan Wolf next, because that is really a discussion about transparency and the process and the results. So we'll get into that discussion next on the Political Power Hour here on WTMJ. Good morning. I'm Sandy Max. Steve Scafidi out on vacation, but is he ever coming back? Tuesday. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that's the plan. But you said you've seen photos of him and his wife having a lot of fun. So plans can change. Exactly. So <laughs> I, I I encourage uh, seizing life and embracing it. So, but he's got tomatoes to come home to. You know that. There you go. Bill McCoshin on the phone with us, Republican strategist, and Joe Zapecki in the studio, Democratic strategist. For the Political Power Hour, we do it every Friday from 9 until 10. And this is one of those particular weeks where we get to uh, unpack and dig deep on some, uh, it was just a fire hose of news this week. And one of those 
uh, newsworthy items was Wisconsin Election Commission Administrator Megan Wolf. She is the state's chief election official. Um, her job is now in a strange limbo. So uh, what can the two of you uh, enlighten us on on how this decision to reject her and is she is she even really in a position if it wasn't approved there's a lot of christmas lights to untangle well to understand I, I went this. first last time so i'm happy to, to see if yeah, bill wants to go first gonna, here yeah for sure i'll take this one because so, election integrity wanna... is just such a crucial issue for all of our elections going forward it is and I, I think you hit on it sandy and and this is really i, I think where i would disagree with my republican friends is they're making this a process argument. It's bigger than that. So Megan Wolf yesterday was rejected effectively 22 to 11, which is a two-thirds majority in the state Senate, to continue as election administrator. We've seen multiple stories, you know, hundreds of uh, X posts and Facebook posts about the process part of this. Here's the reality of it. The Republicans have lost faith or confidence in Megan Wolf. That means she can't effectively serve in that role, period. It, it doesn't matter if they what they did last night on their vote was, was lawful or not lawful. It doesn't matter if she wins the lawsuit that's been filed by Attorney General Josh Call. The reality is the Republicans have said to her, we no longer have confidence in you in that position, and therefore she cannot effectively serve. That's the bottom line. If, if she were, if they step back for a second and say, even if I win this thing, I can't do my job, you know, effectively. That, that, that's what we should be talking about is when you've lost faith and confidence, can, can you do a job like that? And the answer is no. So it, it is time. Uh, to move on, I, you know, I, I don't know that she gets full blame for everything that went on in 2020. Um, you know, that would be unfair, frankly. But the reality is the Republicans have lost confidence in her and she can no longer effectively serve in that role, period. It, it doesn't matter if it's lawful or not is like a pretty good bumper sticker for the Republican Party in 2023. Bill, thank you for that. I'm going to I'm going to workshop that. I. <laughs> It was a choice. It is an ongoing choice by Republicans to undermine Megan Wolf. And what I take away from this, I, I truly don't want to get into. I don't think listeners need to concern themselves with like Don Prane and what is a vacancy and when does it occur? Like the takeaway on this from me is like, folks, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but between now and next November, we are still going to be talking about the 2020 election. It's not, it's not my choice. It's not the Democratic Party's choice. It is Republicans who are doing this. It is the Republicans who are refusing to take on Donald Trump. It is the fact that Donald Trump is far and away the most likely Republican nominee, and he cannot get over the fact he got his butt kicked in 2020. And so from here in Wisconsin and legislative leaders to the federal level, we're going to continue to talk about the 2020 election, and it is Republicans making that choice. And what I would ask you is, how does talking about the 2020 election, how does continuing to do things like fight back and forth over this address issues that Republicans say they care about, like the border, like inflation? Like, why are we still doing this? And, and that's my frustration. And I think the, the clear like signal on this 
This conversation ain't gonna, going anywhere. Just like strap in because we got another year plus of of fighting about the 2020 election when there's no reason for it because it was a free, fair, safe, and secure election held in the midst of a global pandemic. The changes that were made were made in good faith. They were made almost entirely in a bipartisan manner. They were fought over in court and in our politics. But at the end of the day, democracy reigned. We had a free, fair, safe, and secure election. That should be the takeaway. And yet here we are three years later, still fighting about it. And Republicans are apparently making the conscious choice that we're going to talk about it for another 13, 14 months through the 2024 election. Yeah, I don't want to talk about the 2020 election all through 2024 either. I've said that pretty much every week this year. But one of the ways to move beyond that is is for Megan Wolf to clear-eyed look at this and say, you know what, I lost confidence of one of the two parties. I really need to step aside from this. Let's not make this a long, dragged-out fight uh, over whether she can or can't sit in that position. If you don't have the confidence of one of the two main political parties, the, the reality is you can't be in that position. So let's move on from that and let's talk about the future. That's where Joe and I totally agree. How do you lose the confidence? Then, because I feel that there have been counts, recounts, you know, and there's been quite a bit of transparency in having people oversee citizens come in and, and watch the recounts. So it's just, I don't, maybe I'm missing something in that process, but of losing confidence, then. Well, it's not the how, it's the why, right? That Republicans have lost confidence in Megan Wolf because Republicans chose to undermine confidence in, in Megan Wolf, right? So it's like, again, I, like, I hate to use this because it's like more violent than our politics should ever be. But it's like, you know, why are we calling the arsonists and believing they're the ones who are going to put out the fire? Like, they started the fire and it's a raging inferno among the a, a, a not insignificant portion of the Republican base and so now Republican elected officials have no choice but to be like, oh, man, I, I guess this is a real thing. They're the ones who started the fire. To me, it's interesting. There's been conversations about, well, then so she's just going to keep showing up and doing her job. She's kind of in a no-win situation if she's like, okay, fine, I'm tapping out. Then who's going to oversee election integrity in our state moving forward to the 2024 election? And that's the challenge. Like, Bill, like, do you actually believe that? anyone would be acceptable to the the wing of of your party that is so consumed to this day by the 2020 election they're not going to let anybody serve effectively are they well i would hope so i i I think we we have to move on from 2020 uh that is not in our interest to look backwards we have to look forward there's there's just no question about that so maybe it's a retired supreme court justice maybe it's a retired reserve judge you know, somebody could do that position uh, from a credible standpoint for the next 14 months to get us through the 2024 election. But, you know, but the reality is if Donald Trump's at the top of our ticket, we're going to be hearing about 2020 all through 2024 anyway. Yeah. Uh, but this, you know, there's no way around that. And I, you know, in one of these segments, we'll talk about how Republicans can move on. And, and unfortunately, it looks like in the last week or two, former President Trump's hold on the Republican Party and his lead in the Republican nomination fight has grown, not shrunk. We'll we'll discuss that next on the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Good morning. I'm Sandy Max. Steve Scafidi will be back on Tuesday. 
Joining me for the Political Power Hour, one of my favorite hours of the entire week, is Joseph Pecky, Democratic strategist in the studio, and on the phone, Bill McCashin, Republican strategist. Both of these gentlemen know their ins and outs, and uh, I love the insights that each of you provide and the lively exchange that sometimes uh, comes about. Uh, the fire hose of news this week uh, has included all kinds of things, including uh, I words like impeachment and indictments. What have we learned <laughs> this week uh, that is of importance? So uh, one of the things I've learned is that Kevin McCarthy is in a vice. He he is stuck between a small but sort of crucial f- like faction of the House GOP conference and Republicans who feel like it's their job to govern. And so we're, we are barreling towards a shutdown. The, the, ex, like, what, what, what's the best way to describe the most charitable way to describe the Matt Gates of the world, Bill? I'm genuinely asking. Like, I don't want to call it like, are they still the Freedom Caucus technically, or is it like more broad no. than that? I think it's more broad than that. I, I, I wouldn't put Matt Gates in a Freedom Caucus. Yeah, so you know, the, those, those, they, they were fiscally, driven matt gates is not fiscally yeah. driven is it so like let's say it's a, a cabal and i don't mean that in necessarily the, the worst <laughs> way but like there's a, a a not insignificant chunk of the republican conference that is just telling mr mccarthy listen we're not going to vote for any spending bills and what we saw this week is speaker mccarthy had to pull spending bills as opposed to advance rule votes on them that's again a very technical like processy thing but it tells folks like bill and i like oh man we're just running out the clock here. Like the government's going to shut down. They're not going to be able to get this done. In an attempt to try to get a budget and not veer towards a shutdown, which have historically proven to be bad politics for Republicans, it seems awfully transparent that to try to appeal to that not insignificant chunk of 20 to 30 House Republicans, Speaker McCarthy felt he had no choice but to launch an impeachment inquiry into President Biden, despite the fact that after seven months of committee work, they have yet to uncover any evidence of a high crime or misdemeanor. And don't take my word for it. Take Republican member of Congress Ken Buck's word for it. This is not a moderate squish Republican. Ken Buck is one of the most conservative members of Congress, and he is out there saying, I haven't seen it. They don't have the goods. So what are we doing? Kevin McCarthy is in a vice. He is stuck between a rock, a hard place, and a harder place. And I don't know how he works his way out of it, in part because of the hold that Donald Trump maintains over the Republican Party. That is evidenced both by the polling that Bill and I mentioned before the break, which has increased for Trump in the last week. He's now like over 60% nationally. And him saying things like this about the Biden impeachment inquiry. Quote, I am quoting the former president, Donald Trump, quote, they did it to me. And had they not done it to me, I think, and nobody officially said this, but I think had they not done it to me, perhaps you wouldn't have it being done to them. So it's Trump's party and it's a mess, Bill. Do I have that wrong? Listen, where Joe and I are going to agree is I I am deeply opposed to the politics of retribution. I I think that is not what any of our fellow countrymen deserve. Uh, We can't do that. I don't know that Trump can say that with any specific knowledge that this wouldn't have happened but but for what happened to him. This isn't about him. This is about facts that are uh, before 
the Congress now from whistleblowers. And it's really step one. It, it is not an impeachment itself. It's an in- inquiry to give the Congress more powers to get the answers they're looking for. Now, those answers may completely exonerate Joe Biden. They may also incriminate Joe Biden. We don't know the answer to that. But this process is about getting the facts so that people can make a, a, an informed decision. This isn't the nuclear option, uh, you know, going straight to impeachment like uh, Democrats did under Nancy Pelosi over a, a, a fake Russian dossier. That was a nuclear option on, on a document they all knew was fake. Do you mean the impeachment uh, you know, this, where the president ex- attempted to extort the leader of Ukraine after uh, Congress allocated hundreds of millions of dollars to someone staring down the Russian army and tried to extort Zelensky? That impeachment? <laughs> which which they went to without a vote of the Congress. And you and I can both agree on that, I assume. So, I, I mean... I think we need to get the answers to all of these activities, financial activities of Hunter Biden and his business dealings. We know quite a bit. We know more than enough to, uh, you know, take it to the next level, which is this inquiry. But but Donald Trump saying they wouldn't have done this if they hadn't done this to me, I think is, you know, everything about this campaign that I resent is this. This is all about Donald Trump. In 2016, the reason he won is it was all about the people, the forgotten man. This time it's all about him, and it's, you know, I think it's pathetic. I'm just going to say it. And I don't think it's a winning argument for him or for Republicans. What I'm struggling with is there was at least an allegation of a high crime or misdemeanor when uh, Democrats launched the first impeachment. In fact, in both, in both cases, like you could point to, this is the thing. It's the transcript of a call with Zelensky, right? It is seeing with our own eyes an assault on the Capitol and a day when people literally lost their lives and the Congress had to flee and protesters were occupying the U.S. Capitol. Those are things that are jarring and it is really easy for the American people to understand there's something here, right? What you don't see is what is the there there? What is even the allegation against Biden that comes anywhere near a high crime or misdemeanor? Well, let me give you one. And I think all of this is pointing out that the federal ethics laws aren't as strong as they need to be. And let me explain why. If we were operating under Wisconsin ethics laws. Hunter Biden flying on Air Force Two with his father to China to conduct business and coming back with, you know, more than a billion dollars for certain uh, his hedge fund that he was working on at the time would be patently illegal under Wisconsin law. He couldn't use federal or state equipment or or access. To, to enrich himself or his family. That would be that would be illegal. He'd be in jail if it was Wisconsin ethics law today. But, but Bill, that's so the I but, think there's more than enough. But what you're saying is would would be. You're acknowledging it's there's even if the, every single word you just said is true. It may be I don't know the particulars of that one. But you you're like you're telling on the Republican conference. You're saying it would be under Wisconsin law. There was there is no even allegation that Joe Biden broke a law 
if Republicans are serious about ethics reform, and I'd love it, I'd be the first one to say, like, yes, let's have actual ethics rules for, like, Supreme Court justices, tougher ethics laws for members of Congress, no stock trading if you're a member, like, none of that. Let's do that. But the choice is not that. The choice is we're going to launch an impeachment inquiry, even though seven months, tens of thousands of pages of documents of bank records, they don't have it. And it's far-right conservative member Ken Buck saying they don't have it. There's no even allegation of a high crime or misdemeanor. I I don't don't buy that. I, I think the process will play itself out, and we'll either have hard proof or we won't. But there's more than enough smoke here uh, to go to this next step, in my opinion. And I do this on a daily basis. What what anyone who's in my industry watching this says is there's just no way in hell Hunter Biden shouldn't already be in prison. This impeachment uh, effort and the indictment of Hunter Biden are news stories that are going to linger. So I'm sure this will come up again. We'll be back with the Political Power Hour and the Grab Bag next. Good morning, I'm Sandy Max. Steve Scafidi will be back on Tuesday. The Political Power Hour continues with Joe Zapecki, Democratic strategist, and Bill McCoshin, Republican strategist, on a firehose week of news, especially in politics. And uh, when we were doing show planning, all of us joked, like, we have so much to talk about, we could do two Political Power Hours today. Yeah. So we'll still keep it, we'll wrap it up at 10 o'clock, but... Um, but before, before we let the last one, I got a hot take to get in here. Okay. The bumper music is better when Steve's gone. Oh, my god! So I'm giving Sandy and Charlie Ooh. all the credit in the world. <laughs> I think Steve is a real drag on the bumper music. Or you're just oh. a Beatles fan. Well, all right. Well, we want to make you feel comfortable and welcome. This is good. Thank you. Thank you for that hot take. I'm a wild card, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so I do feel like, uh, and Joe, you, you brought it up, and um, I, I, I think it's just too important. Yesterday's breaking news. Uh, Planned Parenthood resuming abortion services in two of their locations in Madison and in Milwaukee starting on Monday um, and the the ramifications of reaction to that you wanted to touch on that and I think that's important well I just think I think it's another takeaway in a really crowded week and it's hard when there's so much noise to like figure out what is the signal like what is the thing I'm supposed to take away from this and, and one of the things I take away from this and the reaction to it is similar to like Trump in the 2020 election, the Dobbs issue, the abortion issue is not going anywhere. This is going to remain ever present. This is not like a world shattering decision. It was very clearly a decision driven by health providers and attorneys assessing legal risk. You know, that's, it was lawyers and doctors in a room making a decision like this. Um, We don't all need to understand the ins and outs of it. But there was a ruling in late July. The lawyers and providers talk about what that ruling said. They know there's another case that's going going to the state Supreme Court. And they said, listen, there are women right now who need these services, and we're going to make this decision. And it just te- it reminds me, this co- this conversation, this issue ain't going anywhere between now and next November. You heard it here first, even if it's not the most surprising thing. Yeah, what I would say about this is the the frightening part for me is this is occurring more and more often on both sides, where if you don't agree with the law, you just ignore it. But as of today, the only update to the 1849 law is a Dane County Circuit judge has said that doctors can't be prosecuted for providing abortion services. So I think Planned Parenthood in Wisconsin is very premature to, to go to this step. I don't think you can just ignore the laws you don't agree with. 
this process is going to play itself out in the courts, likely in the Wisconsin Supreme Court, but uh, this is premature on Planned Parenthood's part. I agree that it's a bold move on their part, but I I, I don't agree that they're ignoring the law. I was able to speak with uh, the executive director, Tanya Atkinson, yesterday, and it's the the caveat in the law, which, you know, the law can be vague and up to interpretation. That's part of the beauty of law. And then the law can also be very specific and and technical. And the technical part of the July decision was that it is feticide that is illegal, not abortion. And that difference being feticide is when a fetus is killed, not either because of some terrible action. I think it was based on a case where a man beat a woman to death and also killed the child. So that is what was illegal, not a voluntary procedure like an abortion. So to me, I I don't think they're ignoring the law. I think they found a specific detail. In our assessing risk, I I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And Bill knows this. Uh, The clients you work with, Bill, like so much of all of this is risk assessment by attorneys. And so, you know, Planned Parenthood has made the decision that is an acceptable level of legal risk for them to provide this essential service to populations that need it. And it's not the end of the story. It's another part of the story going forward. So thank you for um, your insights on this, because that was just such an important announcement and decision yesterday. And we'll see what happens on Monday. Uh, So shifting gears, let's uh, lighten it up with a quick grab bag for each of you. Bill, what's in your grab bag today? My grab bag is childcare. The most devastating smackdown delivered yesterday on the floor of the Wisconsin State Assembly occurred during these six childcare bills that Assembly Republicans passed. And it was delivered by my home representative, Angie Sapic, from the 73rd Assembly District. She lives in Lake Nebagaman, Wisconsin, which is about 30 miles from Superior. And it was related to whether or not 16 year olds can work alongside certified child care providers. Here's what led to it. Here's a quote from Lee Snodgrass from uh, the Appleton area. Even the most mature and hardworking and studious and well-behaved 16-year-olds are not equipped to handle the increasingly complex challenges of young children today. Angie Sapic then stood up and said, hold on, you say 16-year-olds, it's cool for them to do puberty blockers and change their sex, but they can't babysit kids. Come on. The vote is green. It was devastating. It was awesome. I loved it. Go Angie Sapic. Uh, really quickly, a uh, totally different shout out grab bag this week. The other day I was taking a phone call, walking around my neighborhood. Uh, someone heard my voice uh, speaking on the phone and hollered across the street. Love listening to you on TMJ. Uh, I recognize your voice, and I just want to say, whoever that gentleman was, because I had to keep going, I was on the phone, I appreciate you listening. We both do. We are trying to model, if nothing else, that Bill and I, a Republican and Democrat, uh, who view a lot of issues very, very differently, can at least engage and have that civil conversation and a civil dialogue in a respectful way. So it's always great to hear that people are listening, and we hope you appreciate it, because that's what we're trying to do. Thank you both. Bill McCaution, Republican strategist, thank you for making time joining us on the phone. We look forward to seeing you back in the studio next week. Joe Zapecki, thank you for joining us as well. Have a great weekend, guys. You too. You too. This has been the Political Power Hour.